1: Welcome to On The Bench, the second, not third, not fourth, not first either, second most popular FSU podcast. Thank you to everyone for giving us those five-star reviews and putting up with shenanigans over the years while we kind of found our groove a little bit. Guys, let's give ourselves a round of applause a little. Yeah, yeah. I like it. All right, we're coming for your ass, Bud Elliott. You hear that? We're oh. coming for it. <laughs> come, come to take the the crown off the king. All right, I am Brendan Sano and I got Josh Newberg and Chris Knee with me today. I'm going to focus on two different areas. One, recruiting, go over a few of the positions of needs and how those boards have shifted in the last few days and they have changed fairly drastically or at least expanded, I should say, in about the past week or so with some new offers at defensive end and offensive line. We're going to get into that. And then we're also going to take a allow ourselves to do a little bit of a focus on the 2020 season. I know that seems far away and we don't know like, if it's happening or not. Uh, but right now we're going under the mindset that, yeah, it's it's happening, f- full steam ahead. And uh, we're going to go over some of our top 40 uh, most important player mm-hmm. predictions as well. I know Josh is thrilled to do that. So I'm going to try to get Josh, good Josh, while I got him right now before we lose him. Joshua, good morning, sir. Good morning. Good Brandon. morning.
0: Good morning, good morning, good morning. How you doing?
1: Uh, dandy. Uh, we got the defensive end board. It's expanded quite a bit in the last week. And before we go into the reasonings behind that, and I want to go to get both of your guys' thoughts on, on some of the new offers that have gone out, Josh, you dropped a nice crystal ball, I think one that got a lot of the folks excited starting off the week right on Monday, Chambre Jackson, the four-star defensive end from Orlando, Florida. Put him in one for the good guys there. Would you like to, uh, to explain why you, uh, you decide to go ahead and, and drop your ball there for good old Chambre?
0: Yeah, it was Monday, needed some action, so, um,
1: <laughs> I <was interested>. okay.
0: <laughs> so I made the pick. But Jackson, you know, he's the number 222nd best player overall, number 17-ranked strong side defensive end in the country. And he tweets about Florida State more than most commits tweet about Florida State. Not only that, but Chris Need did an update on Knowles 24-7 on him, I think on Sunday, where Shambri said that uh, he talks to FSU not just regularly – but every day um, and I'd been sitting on the fence about putting a crystal ball in for Jackson only because he has not set a decision date in the interview he did with Chris. He still said that the plan is to decide sometime during his senior season. So I thought, you know what? Now's as good a time of any, this is more of a projection pick, but it's something that I've been sitting on for a while. I'm hearing good things about where Florida state stands with Jackson. I don't think a commitment is imminent, but I do feel confident that when he does make go to make his decision, that it's going to be Florida State.
2: Yeah, and to add a little bit of context, when I spoke to him, I still think the battle here is Alabama-Auburn-FSU is kind of the top three. He, he's a little bit more open than three schools, but those are the three that I know are definitely solidly in this that he has a mutual interest in. With regards to FSU, his daily contacts with Odell Higgins, we all know when Odell truly sinks his teeth into a kid that he wants, especially an in-state kid. He tends to have good results with that. Uh, He's a talented defensive end. He's got a body type that could develop into something bigger, but I'm not going to dive too deep into that. I think right now he's a strong side defensive end for Florida State who has the potential of sliding inside later in his career if his body continues to develop.
0: Yeah, I think he probably ends up inside, uh, but I don't want to get too caught up in that debate because – FSU has major needs at defensive end and defensive tackle. So if, if Sean Bray does come, he's filling one of those needs, whether it be inside or outside. I I personally think he ends up on the inside at defensive tackle, but um we'll we'll have plenty of time to debate that moving forward.
1: I know right now for what it's worth, Florida State views him as a defensive end, but like you guys said, he he very well could change. Yeah.
0: Major needs at either position. So it's not It's not worth arguing about. Yeah, and
2: I find, like, you know, for example, we wrote about a kid yesterday who FSU is recruiting as a Fox, and people fall in love with the terminology of the position that they call their primary. But in this day and age of defensive football, front seven is front seven, and there's a lot of versatility built into that. Obviously, a D tackle is different than an outside linebacker, but as far as a DN and outside linebacker, a lot of similarities. As far as potentially a DN and a D tackle, sometimes a lot of similarities. I think people need to cool their jets a little bit on falling in love with the terminology of specifically what we call a guy. Sean Bray Jackson is a wide bodied kid. That's why people think he can develop into a D tackle, but he's also not so heavy and slow at this point that he can live at defensive end too. So that's why the talk of both positions comes up with him.
1: We saw this a lot with FSU under Jimbo Fisher, where they would recruit someone who was maybe an edge defender at the high school level and ended up playing linebacker, like inside linebacker in college or vice versa. And FSU is kind of going with a similar hybrid front uh, under Adam Fuller. So I think that's, that's worth noting. Uh, Like Brandon Mm -hmm. Jennings, uh, right now, I know people are saying, Oh, Fox or Middle linebacker, Like, sure, why, why not both? I mean, why not see kind of what he develops into at Florida State? The fact that you think that highly of him is the important aspect of, of how you gauge his recruitment. One more note on Chambre Jackson, to Josh's point about uh, his Twitter game. In addition to the tweets, uh, like I always say, follow the follows. Go ahead and look at, like, his last 50 follows. A good probably 15 of them are Florida State. Uh, not that he's it's like overwhelming majority for Florida State, but Florida State either commitments or coaches or uh, like Josh Storms is in there, and Carlos Lachlan's in there, so like the assistant guys, those guys are pretty high up on uh, on his list of, of recent follows. So I think that's that's worth noting. All right, let's go to the recent offers at defensive end. FSU is casting a fairly wide net right now. Uh, let me look here. I want to see who I want to start with. Josh, I'm going to go with Byron Turner from New Orleans. Turner. They offered him yesterday. And uh, did you know that he plays at the same high school that Coach David Yak Johnson used to coach at? Were you <laughs> aware of that?
0: I did. And Byron Turner, um, he's a six foot foot 237 237-pound pass rusher. He's a 2021 recruit, like you said, kind of casting a wider net here, offering some new guys. Um, 392nd-ranked player overall. I spoke to Byron Turner. He has a top 12 that came out on May 17. You can pretty much scrap that because he's going to he's <laughs> gonna release a top six probably in the next couple weeks. It sounds like I expect Florida State to make that list. Um, when I spoke to Turner, he was exceptionally high on Florida State because growing up his his father watched a lot of FSU football. So he said he just kind of grew up with FSU on the TV and was a fan. Um, he's going to narrow that down to a top six and said that he would like to make a decision before his senior season, which is interesting because he's not going to be able to take any visits. He acknowledged that, um, said he wants to make that decision before senior season begins and then, and then take a couple visits in the fall if he's able to. Uh, so he's one to keep an eye on. I'll probably reach back out in a week or two and see if he's ready to drop that top six.
1: Okay, Nee, Kyron Montgomery from the Midwest. So they've actually offered a few guys from the Midwest at different positions. Like, you know, I'm not sure what the ties are to, to that area. It's kind of surprising to me. But but anyways, uh, you wrote about, about that offer. Uh, what do you know about Kyron and, and where FSU stands for him right now?
2: He's a three-star weak side defense man from Indianapolis, Indiana, Pike High School. Uh, John Papuchas reached out via telephone on 28th and offered him He's a taller, lean defensive end, six four, two 215 are his listed measurements. I don't know how to weight being specific, but he is of that height. Uh, he has around 25 offers with FSU jumping in the boat, but before FSU hopped in, it was Arizona State, Boston College, Minnesota, Missouri, Penn State, Purdue were some of the main ones. I know BC is a school that he really likes from what I was told when FSU got involved in this recruitment. He named that top six I just listed off in late May. I asked him specifically, does the FSU offer put him among that group now? And he said they're definitely in. Uh, Right now, no predictions on the crystal ball. I don't have a great read on his recruitment. I don't think he's in a massive rush. But I do think that he has a better relationship with BC, Penn State, a few of those types before FSU. I asked him about a virtual visit. He said he believed something would get set up soon, but he didn't know anything specifically about that. A uh, productive kid on the field. I mean, as a junior, he had almost 100 tackles at 99, <laughs> had 22 tackles for loss, five sacks. So he's a guy that can get after. He's got good speed off the edge. I think it's showing a continuation that they understand that they need, they need multiple bodies at the defensive end position, and they need guys that are kind of different types too. You, what type we're seeing them offer?
1: You mentioned Chris, relationships and his recruitment and obviously when you're starting to offer kids, you know, at this point in the summer, you're catching up a little bit. And one guy who I think I'm going to transition to, and it is important with when we're talking about relationships is Thomas Davis, the three-star defensive end from Valdosta. That was just offered late yesterday evening. Someone who I think most covering recruiting kind of thought like he's destined for Miami at this point, the narrative on our message board was oh, "Why'd you wait so late to offer. Is it too late to offer a kid that's, Know, less than 100 miles away from you. Your thoughts on the timing of that offer? Is it too late? i uh, curious to get get your thoughts on that, Chris.
2: Well, he's the region 178 defensive player of the year, South Georgia kid, super productive last year, 11 and a half sacks on the season, also had 47 tackles. He's viewed kind of as a hybrid. He's an outside linebacker. FSU likes him for the Fox position. I clarified that with him yesterday when we spoke. He spoke with John Papuchas yesterday who extended the offer to him. Um, I do think FSU is too late here as of right now, and that's not in the sense of, oh, they should have offered months ago. It's more in the sense of Miami's more ingrained here. Mm-hmm. Miami is the favorite. When he went to Jacksonville for the elite underclassmen combined uh, about two weekends ago now, he spoke about Miami being his favorite over Indiana and South Carolina. I think FSU has a chance of being among that group, but Miami's pretty strongly firm there with him. Uh, I asked him if he'd ever visited FSU before. He has not gotten back to me on that. I asked him about a virtual visit. He hasn't gotten back to me on that. He's not a kid that usually talks a lot. His plan is to commit on August 24th as of right now. I think it will be Miami as of right now. Obviously, some work can be done there, but he very much likes Miami. He's hit it off with Coach Diaz and his staff. Um, I I just think that's where he stands. Was FSU late on this? I mean, he's a South Georgia kid, so people are going to say proximity. You shouldn't have known. I think they've known about him. I think they've just been hesitant to offer. I don't know if that truly makes him late. I don't know if Thomas Davis is a guy that's the solution to all their problems. like People want to make it out to be. Should they have offered and maybe slow played them? Sure, you can do that too while you try to figure it out. But I I don't know. I'm not diving into the pool of, oh my God, they're so late with this. I just, I think it's sort of foolish. I don't think Thomas Davis, and I like Thomas Davis. He's a guy that I threw out on the message board, I think about two weeks ago now, as someone who, at the linebacker position slash defensive end, I felt like they could look at and go on.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's not like I, I don't think highly of them. I definitely do. It's more a matter of I just don't know if he was such a no-brainer that you don't – like, if you're not sure, you don't offer a kid, especially a local kid. You don't want to offer a kid at Lounge that you don't want to take and then get into the conundrum of him wanting to commit and you saying no. That creates more problems than it's worth. So I think you got to balance that. I just don't know that FSU was in love with him. I think this is more a matter of expanding the board and him being a kid that is valuable enough to go ahead and expand it in such a fashion.
0: How do you think he – How do you think he compares to Deontay Anderson? (laughs) Well, I mean, I think
2: think he plays much better competition than Deontay Anderson. I like Deontay Anderson because I think he's more twitchy. Like, to me, Thomas Davis isn't super twitchy. He's a good athlete. I don't know if he's the most flexible dude, but he gets it done. I like his film. He's a very good football player. I think Deontay Anderson is maybe a better prospect. In the sense of being a little bit more of a better athlete who can be developed mm-hmm. further, if that makes sense, I'm not trying to diminish one versus the other. I'm just saying I think one is a little bit more of a finished product who we know exactly what he is in watching film, and the other one's a guy who probably needs more development at the college game. And Deontay Anderson, I like Deontay Anderson. He's another guy I threw out on the message board. Hell, that one I feel like was months ago at this point. I, I think if you're expanding the board, he is worth the look. Deontay
1: Anderson, so you're, is the reason, you're the one that about. started
2: that on the message board. Oh.
1: Thank
2: you. I, I don't know that I started it. I know that uh, Hassani Harper, who I think you're familiar with down that way, he does a mm-hmm. lot of stuff for kids in the Polk County area. Uh, he put Deontay's film out there a few months ago. I watched it. I liked it. You know, I think DN's one of those spots, kind of mm-hmm. like offensive tackle sometimes where you take a kid that, you see something in athletically and you have to develop them. Sometimes that bust on you and you don't get anything out of it, but sometimes you also get a guy who suddenly turns freakish and develops into something pretty special in a few years. I think Deontay one of those kids who kind of falls into that realm.
1: All right, so I had one more name for you guys. and I want to talk big picture about it, but Jamal Williams from Cardinal Gibbons is just someone that I know FSU has spoken with. I got up with him about a week or so ago, no offer yet. Probably in that next wave of guys, if you do see offers like in another couple of weeks, I think there's still an evaluation process on him. They're not quite as high on him, but fitting the bill with some of the other defensive ends we've seen, similarly built where he's like six foot four, long arms, a little gangly, has room to fill out. I think you don't know quite what he's going to be yet. Probably why there's no offer yet from Florida State, but but someone to keep an eye on. Josh, why do you think there have been this influx of offers at defensive end in the last week or so? Like, what do you, what do you make of the expansion of the board in such a, I guess, rapid uh, period to have that many offers or that much new interest in, in such a short period of time?
0: Well, there is a period about a week or two ago where the three of us were sitting down trying to figure out the defensive end board. And we're like, you know, nobody on here looks like they're legitimately in play for Florida state or not a lot. So this made a lot of sense to see this kind of wave of offers, which might not be completely over yet either. You know, today's only Tuesday morning that we're recording this. We've seen what three offers in the last four or five days. So I'm not ruling this out, but it just made sense. I mean, it was something that had to happen. If, if you were a realist and you looked at the board, you knew that FSU was either fading or out of it for, for, for a bunch of these guys and, There needed to be some new names. There needed to be a new wave of offers, and here we are. Um, We'll see where it stands at the end of the week. Uh, There could be a few more. Yeah, and they they have a commitment from Brandon Jennings. He's capable of playing
2: the Fox position. A lot of people think that's what he'll play at FSU. They have a commitment from Josh Farmer, a little bit more of a big-body defenseman. Obviously, Sean Bray is a guy that we feel pretty good about where FSU stands with. And then Zion Reeves is a guy that they've been with a long time, North Carolina kid. They are battling like an NC State, for example, for him. But he doesn't seem to be in a major rush. I know the communication has been consistent with him and FSU. So I think that was kind of your strong core. But the issue is the guys on the peripheral of that, the guys just outside that group who would be your plan B, your next guy up, that that list has completely diminished in recent weeks. And I think that's mm-hmm. why you're seeing – a few new names thrown on there. You know, we saw him offer Christian Zachary about a month ago, but he immediately came out with a short list about a week later that FSU wasn't part of. So that was kind of a very short-lived, we're trying to make an effort here kind of guy. So I think that's why you're seeing the Kyron Montgomery's and stuff like that. And I think a guy like Deontay Anderson, who we've mentioned, is another guy who might fall into that realm.
0: Yeah. And I wrote about him on Sunday. Um Deontay said he speaks regularly with Coach Odell at FSU. No offer yet, but they are, you know. They are talking to him. They're engaged with him. Um, we'll see what happens. He, he doesn't know when or if that offer will come.
1: Odell, Odell back in Polk County, all is right in the world. <clears throat> you should put in, Josh, a, a crystal ball for Byron Turner. You're looking for some CBs to drop. There you go. He's, yeah,
0: I know. I spoke to him, though. I just bit? wasn't – I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say like FSU a long shot there. I just think that the newness of the – I don't think – you know, you talk to a kid, you can kind of get that feeling. And I just didn't get that feeling that he's on the verge of committing. Yeah,
2: and it's tougher to decipher in this climate because a lot Mm -hmm. of times when you offer a kid, when a kid would be like, well, I want to get over there as soon as possible and see it. And, you know, I got a great relationship with Coach Yak, and I want to spend some time with him in person and meet the rest of the stuff. When those kind of comments come, you're like, ooh, that turns the radar on. That Mm -hmm. can't happen right now. So, you know, that kind of hurts. The virtual environment is not as easy to read a kid as the environment of I'm going to hop in a car drive seven hours because I really like this freaking school. That shows authenticity in the fact that a kid, you know, is enamored with a particular mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so let's go to well, all right. We we can't talk about one position's uh, recruiting board without talking about offensive line. I feel like we just have to address the offensive line board every single episode in which yep. we discuss recruiting. <laughs> I think the the most Noteworthy tidbit from uh, from the past week is Raekwon Buckley getting an offer from Florida State. So I wanted to make sure that I was throwing it to the right person. Chris, you wrote about Buckley in, in that offer. Uh please discuss.
2: Yeah, it came across on June 26th. Josh had kind of dropped the hint on, I think it was a Monday before that, that they were gonna they were getting pretty close. They had the virtual visit with him. Um I asked him what the offer means, got straight to it. He has a good relationship with Coach Atkins. They've been speaking for some time. This isn't a kid who just suddenly appeared. He's been on the radar since April. It means that they're definitely in a great spot with me, and I just want to go and visit, Buckley said, of the offer. Uh, Consistent theme with him. He wants to take a few in-person visits before he makes any decisions. FSU is definitely one that's in this. Nebraska, I would say, is a school that's kind of in the uh, pole position right now. Michigan State, Minnesota, or a couple others I know he likes a lot. You know, FSU has built a bond that our kid likes. He's a developmental body type. He actually – some people thought he was a defensive end, but he's going to end up being an offensive tackle in the college game. So, you know, I think that's the position FSU is in at offensive tackle to some degree is they're looking at body types – that are going to develop into offensive tackles more so than the ready made, already known offensive tackles. So, big tight ends, defensive ends who are transitioning to that position, who probably played both ways. Guys who are just smaller offensive tackles who still have body development to go. That's kind of what they're starting to kick tires on to some degree, in addition to others who have more regular, natural body types.
1: Kind of in that same mold, Chris, uh, Mitchell Evans, tight end, who's what, like six foot seven?
2: Yeah, he's a six foot seven kid, definitely has the frame to bulk up and become an uh, offensive tackle if you need it. He can also just be an inline blocker as a tight end, not saying he can't play that position too. He's supposed to release a top 10 on July 1st, is what he told me yesterday. He said that could change if more offers come in. He's one of these kids that's not real you know, tight on the 10 and not going to consider anybody else. But he said, as of right now, that's the plan. He's a fairly recent FSU offer as well. There is some mutual interest there. We'll see if they make the top 10. I don't know that it's a slam dunk, mm-hmm. but I think it's probably likely.
1: All right. And then Josh, your boy, Michael Mislinski, Mislinski, mm-hmm. get it right? Did I nail it?
0: Yeah, he's a guard center. Um, he's ranked as the number 12 center in 24-7 sports. I ran a story on him. I think it was maybe last Monday or Tuesday. He took, maybe it was the week before, but he took a visit to Florida State's campus uh, with his family No contact, no face-to-face contact with the FSU staff, but um, he did FaceTime with FSU. You know, we ran a story on Knowles 24-7. You guys can check that out. But since then, Mislinski has gone on visits to Texas, uh, Iowa, Maryland, and I believe he's going to try, and and Duke as well. And I think he's going to try to take one or two more before making a mid-July decision, yeah, Gosh, This, is, this is
1: amazing that a kid is taking – like, that. it's news that a kid is taking on-campus visits right now. Like, that was such yeah. a unique tidbit that you dropped a week ago. It's strange times.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I think FSU is going to have a couple more this month. It'll be after the July 4th holiday, but I'm expecting probably, like, two to three more visitors to come on their own dime and do this. Um, Florida State can't let them into the Moore facility. Uh, they can't be with them during the campus visit, but they can FaceTime with them. <laughs> they can tell them where to go. They can tell them where to eat and all sorts of things. So um, my Slinsky is doing this mainly because his father is the head strength coach of the Jacksonville Jags and they're heading to fall camp in mid-July. The family wants to be able to you know, take these visits together and then make a decision. So it it, it does make sense. The schools I know he
2: wants to see, I think he's going a week after the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Um, Iowa and Michigan State are two of the ones. And Iowa is right. a big player here. Iowa's is a school before everything that happened there recently, specifically with strength coach. Um I think they were the pole position school. I don't know that still be the case. I think Texas has made a surge here. I think he's interested in several others that he has on that list. He shared a list of, I think, eight to 10 schools. He doesn't intend to narrow that down and share a short list before. Yeah, I
0: I got it right here. Here's the schools that he says are recruiting the hardest. Iowa, Texas, Maryland, Michigan State, Missouri, Arkansas, Oregon, Duke, and Florida State. Um, Iowa and Michigan State will be the final two schools he visits before making a decision. Yeah. Now the p- people are going to want to know: Is he a take for Florida State? I would say yes, he is a take for Florida State. If he called up Mike Norvell and said that he wanted to come, they would accept his commitment. Um, with Jake Slaughter and Bryson Estes on the commit list, um, he's not a main priority. We just spent this whole podcast talking about offensive tackle. So uh, he's about six foot two. He's he's an interior guy all the way, quality interior guy. FSU would take him, but this isn't what the focus is on right now for the Knowles.
1: There's one more body on the offensive line board that we want to talk about. That's Cameron Scott. Uh, someone I liked his film, or I should say his highlights, quite a bit when FSU started expressing interest. And he, I think, wrote on that about two weeks ago. But still, Chris, no no offer to date, Correct.
2: No, no offer yet. A lot of contact with uh, Coach Atkins, a lot of talking with him. He did think he was going to get on the horn with Norvell about a week ago. That ended up not coming about that day, but he did talk to Atkins again that day. He's a little bit short for an offensive tackle. He's listed 6'4", 321 pounds. He told me he's shedding a little bit of that weight. He's working more towards the 300 and 330 type. Um He's a road grader. He's a physical, straightforward, put-you-on-your-ass kind of kid. He's definitely a great guard. I think he's capable of being a tackle. Um, He's a kid that's very interested in FSU offer. I do think if they offered, they would become probably his favorite. He has some ties to the South Georgia area. He lived there before moving out to Texas. So there's definitely things working in FSU's favor with a Texas kid where he wouldn't be as far of a reach as he would normally think. With such a kid from the Lone Star State.
1: I wonder what the arm length and the wingspan is. That's probably a pretty important part of that that puzzle and trying to figure out whether he is a tackle. Cause that's what matters yeah. to the staff more than anything.
2: I think Scott's a kid where if he could get on campus like in a normal climate and they were able to get a better feel for him and see him, the whole offer debate would be over instantaneously. It would be mm-hmm. done or not. And I think some of that
0: is measurements.
1: Interesting. That'll be that'll be an interesting one to follow. Uh, let's see. I think that's everything right now for recruiting. Anything else, fellas, before we take our commercial break?
0: Yeah, I'd like to uh, All right. provide a little update. I made a call to make sure that Leonard Taylor, <laughs> defensive tackle from Palmetto, that everybody has been going back and forth on why this guy doesn't have an offer. We've tried to say on, on the site in as many ways, it doesn't matter if he has an offer or not if you've watched Florida state football for the last three to four years, this five-star defensive tackle from Miami is not coming to Florida state, but fans wanted to make this a big issue. So for the last two or three weeks, every, you know, nonstop, it pops up. Why isn't Leonard Taylor offered? You know? So I just said, you know what, I'm going to end this. I made a call. I said, Hey, uh, is Leonard Taylor offered? He said the kid from Palmetto. Hell yeah. Does he have interest? (laughs) And I said, Nope, just checking. Thanks. And, (laughs) <laughs> I just wanted to put it to bed. You know, Florida State needs talent. They need defensive tackles. If there's a five star in Miami, of course he has an offer. The reason why he's not considering FSU isn't because he doesn't have an offer, it's because what FSU's done on the field and off the field, meaning all these coaching changes over the last couple of years. So just to put that to bed, FSU has offered Leonard Taylor. Let's all move on. There's much bigger things to worry about than this.
1: One other thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris.
0: Running
2: back Jalen White, pretty high target for FSU at mm-hmm. position. Supposed to drop a top ten today. I fully expect FSU to be in it. I will admit, I was supposed to talk to him yesterday, and he stood me up like a Aww. girl wanted to go prom. So Aww. I don't know for a fact that FSU's in the top ten, but I expect him to be.
1: What's the most hurt you've ever been, Chris, by a kid like going ghosting you? Uh, I imagine oh, there's been some long term, some long term relationships geez. in which things just go silent.
2: I, I don't know. I can't think of that so at nine a.m. on a morning. <laughs> I, right, well. I'm pretty. I'm pretty good at moving on to the next relationship.
1: You're probably not even hurt. You don't have any feelings, as we. <laughs> it's well well documented, other than grumpy. <laughs> All right, let's take. <laughs> don't look at me like that. We're gonna take a quick commercial break, and then we're gonna be back with Josh's favorite segment: a countdown of the forty most important players of the 2020 season. Let's go. All right, welcome back to On the Bench, Josh. You ready for this?
0: Yeah, I thought I missed the first uh, installment of this.
1: I, I tried telling Josh we were going to do this a week ago. and He's like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go through it fairly rapid fire. And listen, if if we get some feedback and people say this sucks and it's boring, because they already know this, go. We then can make we'll it go. Fun. If they like it, we'll do the other half later on. Before we get to that, the 2020 season, we're all assuming it's going to happen right now. Like that's the working assumption. We know FSU is preparing for it. People ask us that a lot on the message board. Like, I don't, man, like no one knows exactly what's going to happen. The world's changing every single day. So I just want to put that out there. Chris, there was a question on the the financial impact of football season doesn't happen on the message board recently. It's been asked before for podcast questions. I think it's just worth you to, Go ahead and, and explain how it was explained to you what no football season would mean for Florida state financially.
2: David Coburn compared it to a nuclear bomb going off. It would be catastrophic. It's a huge piece of the pie. It helps to fund a lot of sports. It helps to make sure the program's running in a proper fashion. It's not just revenue of ticket sales and booster sales, but it's also TV money. And that's the biggest issue. I mean, I think you can get away with not having people in the seats to a degree because of TV money, that's going to help you stay afloat, but you know n- zero revenue from football would be devastating. and I, I think we've already seen across the landscape in college athletics that law schools are preparing for either a massive decrease in revenue or a loss of all revenue by cutting other sports. I obviously don't think FSU wants to get to that point. I think FSU loves the fact that they have a healthy, fertile athletic program as a whole and that they have, you know, the sports they do have, which FSU doesn't have too many sports. There are schools that have far more sports than FSU fields. I think FSU is very happy with what they feel and would like to stay that way. I don't think that's something that they're at a point where they're considering it. But in my last conversation with A.D. Coburn, He did say they are taking into account every scenario possible for the football season with regards to when it would start, how it would operate, how fan attendance would be, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm sure from that perspective, they're also taking into account every financial impact possible by whatever decision is made. But I don't think anything with football season is truly going to be close to cemented before July 15th, July 15th to the 22nd is an important week. That's when schools are supposed to basically get back into camp mode. If there's a halt of things at that point, then that's a major concern for the starting point of early September.
1: I think FSU has been pretty diligent in making sure. I mean, obviously we know that they're testing players regularly. And uh, yeah, I think coach Norvell has, has tried to make it like, you can't keep players from going out and living their lives, like to an extent, right. But tried to express like what a halt would mean for this football program. Like be careful, especially over July 4th coming up. Uh, yeah, just be mindful of of where you're at and what that would mean for for the football program if if there were a bunch of guys testing positive, like at like at a Clemson or uh, or lSU or whatnot. So, and just real quick on the financial aspect of things, the financial hierarchy for college athletics. I assume most of our listeners know this, but maybe not. The, the way it typically works is this kind of cookie cutter, so it doesn't apply to everywhere, but but this is generally, Baseball pays for itself in revenue. Uh, it makes up what it spends. It, it pays for itself, usually breaks even or comes in the black a little bit. Basketball usually makes a profit. Men's basketball specifically makes a profit. Football then pays for pretty much every other Olympic sport, men's and women's uh, throughout the college, fo- the college landscape. College football is keen financially when it, when it comes to athletic department budgets. So yeah, it it, it would be, catastrophic if there was no semblance of a football season uh, for Florida state's athletic department and athletic departments everywhere. All right. Happier things. Let's move on to the 40 most important player list. We did it this year. Usually it's me just kind of asking Chris and Josh and, and Zach their thoughts. And then I put the list together and uh, they kind of will, will make some suggestions, but this year I wanted to incorporate all of them into the actual like final cementing of the rankings as well as, Bud Elliott. Trey Roland, uh, who was doing the roll cast at the time. Now it's just some random guy who's who's uh, doing a list for us uh, without a, a tie to a podcast. Just kidding, Trey, I love you. And uh, and Wayne McGee of the Tallahassee Democrat, who also does a top 40 list of the Tallahassee Democrats. Seemingly every year after we do one, they do a most important list too and then change the numbers to match ours the next year. So next year we'll do 50. I'm sure Wayne will be doing a top 52 years after that. Right, buddy? Okay, for our list, though, we did the composite scores. We got 40 through 21 today. That's already on Knowles 24-7. This is a chance to kind of flesh out our rankings, talk about it together here. Number 40 was True Thompson, the defensive tackle. I had him at 38th. Chris had him at 43rd. And Josh, low man, 48th. I like True. I think he's a... A solid rotational piece, but this is before we knew Fabian Lovett was going to be around. I, I do wonder how that impacts a true spot in the rotation with Fabian Lovett, if eligible. Do you guys have any thoughts on that?
0: I think he's pretty far down there on the depth chart this year with with Lovett in there.
1: He's, he's part of a part of a three, probably like the third part of the rotation, but I think there's still value to true. Because yeah, he's, he's a situational
0: related. guy is what yeah. I meant.
1: Uh, Maurice Smith at 39. I had him at 50th, knee 44th, Josh 39th. Josh, you're a little bit bullish on Murray Smith. You think he's going to get some reps in the rotation uh, interior offensive line, I imagine?
0: I had him at 39, and you guys had him at what?
1: I had him at 50th. Chris had him at 44th.
0: Yeah, I think the offensive line needs help. (laughs) So I put him (laughs) up there.
1: I don't like the segment so far. Thursday. I think
0: he's, a i mean, he's a solid two deep guy, and for
2: the love of God, they need a two deep at that position.
0: Yeah, here's here's my thinking. Where for, for the reason that I put him there, in order of importance, the the center play has been so bad at Florida State. Um, I know I have baby on up there, and I'll, we'll get to that when when I get there. Um, <laughs> oh
1: yes, we will. Yes, we will.
0: <sighs> so what I was thinking was, Maury Smith could actually be. You know, we could see a good a good amount of Maury Smith, possibly this year, if things don't go well with the, with the guys ahead of him, And I Mm -hmm. think that, you know, that could boost his importance on the team. If that happens,
1: hell, he started two games, I think at least one game late last season Mm -hmm. at guard. So yeah, it's it's not unrealistic, Josh. Right. Similar Uh, 38th Dennis Briggs moving into defensive tackle. He's been really solid every single time he's touched the field. Like he, he's not spectacular, but he's just been consistent. I had him at 40th. knee had him at 38th. Josh at 34th. Don't have to spend a ton of time there. There's not a huge variance between us. I think we all kind of see him as a solid rotational piece. I want to go over this guy though at 37 a little bit more. Jordan Wilson, tight end, UCLA transfer, not on campus yet. He told us a few weeks ago, uh, late June, maybe late July at the absolute latest. So still in the time frame where I wouldn't worry about that yet. Uh, I had him at 36. Chris had him at 34th. Josh. Did not list Jordan Wilson. Why don't you why don't you shame Josh for me?
2: <laughs> I'm not here to shame my friend, but I think that, you know, FSU is going to use tight end more. I think we've spoken about that with Coach Norvell's preference with that position. And while Cam McDonald is clearly the guy who's probably the starter, who has the most experience, especially within the team dynamic, I think that's pretty clear after that it falls off a cliff. So I think Jordan Wilson was brought in for a reason thus i put him at 34 i can't believe josh completely forgot about him josh just forgot oh,
0: about him right i did not forget about him you did forget about him okay i'm Two, proud of you cuz i actually <laughs> thought you forgot about him I, he <laughs> had 200 he had about 200 snaps last year at ucla on a bad ucla team he caught seven balls seven, 17 i know there's a seven in there but he didn't have a whole lot of production and i'm just you know for what he is he's coming in for one year i'm not i'm not holding out hope that um, he's going to be the a game changer for Ford State. I don't know how much we see of him. Um, I'm not real high on him.
2: I think the fact that he's in my top 40 doesn't mean he's a game changer. I don't think FSU has a whole lot of those. So I think he's more a guy that's a dependable 2D player.
1: And I think for context, uh, when we define important, and we all define it a little bit different personally, but there's – a difference between thinking this guy is the 30th best player on the roster versus he's going to play a role that makes him pushes up his value. Some. So you're just trying to weigh, uh, at least that's how I do. I try to weigh value at the position they play along with upside and production and try to blend those two as, as, yeah, not as possible. No, I just God. try to take
0: into account their importance to the team.
1: That's, that's a fair way to do it. Hey, this is all our own individual lists. We're just going to make fun of it a little bit. I will say this, Josh, I was worried that you were going to forget about a lot of guys when we did this list. And it didn't happen as much as I thought, but honestly, I don't think I forgot about guys. anybody. No, you were good. Bud forgot about more guys than you did. So, and and Zach left off. <laughs> Zach forgot about one. Uh, we're going to get to that in a, in a minute or two. And I had to bite the bullet for it, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, you had Josh, you had Wyatt Rector at 50th on your list. Because we went actually 50 guys just to get a little few more names in there when, when doing the calculations. So
0: yeah, because he could play two positions.
1: Yeah. Joel, I mean maybe even maybe even, maybe even three. Uh if he does a little like like tackle. Rhythm. What do you what do you think? No, no, like 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 fullback kind of like H back or whatever. Move him around a little bit. All right, 36, Derek McClendon. I had him at 30th, knee 39th. And Josh, 37th. Uh, we don't have to spend a lot of time there. Not a huge variance. Uh, I like McClendon a little mm-hmm. bit more because I think he's probably the third best defensive end on the roster right now and might actually be one of the better pass rush threats or at least mm-hmm. gives you the potential to pass rush. They don't have a whole lot of that on the roster. So hence, he's a pretty important uh, backup player to me. 35, that's the one that, that Zach forgot. That's Brendan Gantt. I technically, uh, well, technically Zach was the lowest at not having him listed at all, but I had Brendan Gantt at 49th. He had him at 29th, Josh 31st. Zach said he would have had him in the 20s had he remembered. Explain
0: Um, yourself for that one, Brendan. That's a wild take to have him that low. Plus, I want Gant to know exactly who dragged him down, so if he puts one of us on his
2: ass, (laughs) it's you.
1: Brendan Gant, best-case scenario this season is the backup boundary safety to Jaden Lars would be in my mind. That's the best case. Worst case is he's the third string. If they put Hamza Nasruddin at boundary safety behind Mm Jaden and Hamza, uh, and last season, Brendan Gantt was one of the lowest ranked, um, via PFF scholarship players on, on defense. So I, I think there's value to him. I think in sub packages, you can certainly find a way to get him on the field. I just think he has a little ways to go before I'm saying he's one of the top reserves on your roster, especially when you have so many safeties. Uh, Florida State has a lot of capable safeties, not a ton of proven dynamic ones outside of Hamsa, but yeah I, that's why i just i didn't think there was an immense value at that position it's safety it's kind of you can hide someone there too if, if needed
2: so got swallowed up by the numbers he fell in love with that pff number
1: i did i did i always do jaleel, jaleel mccray at 34 on the list the backup linebacker maybe even a starter this year i had him at 28th and he had him at 37th josh at 33rd i think we we're all kind of thinking that he's a really important backup correct chris
2: Yeah, and and I'll admit, linebacker and DB, there's a lot of bodies there, and it's kind of tough to decipher who you love. Like, I know I love Emmett Rice, but then after that at linebacker, it's kind of tough to decipher who's the next guy. Like, I don't love Leonard Warner, but he has more experience, so I'd probably rank him higher than a guy like Jaleel McCray. But truthfully, I think McCray might hold more value than a Leonard Warner.
1: Certainly more long-term value because Warner's right now a senior, and Jaleel McCray is a true sophomore, and he had his struggles last year as well. But, uh, but has potential if, if he continues to show improvement like he has so far this offseason, which is why I think I'm a little higher on him than you guys. I, I like the upside there. Uh, tied for 32nd. I was going to say at 32nd, he's tied. We have two guys at 32, 32. Uh, first off, wide receiver Ontario Wilson. I have, I have him at 46, knee at 22nd, Josh at 27th. I'm lower on him than you guys. Uh, Josh, why are you, why are you higher? Well, why are you, I guess, normal? Why am I low? Ontario Wilson I don't know
0: why am i wait
1: why am i so what why am i cranky why don't i like Ontario? you're higher
0: you like him more i or like you,
1: him less apparently a lot yeah, like what do you i like
0: missing? Ontario Wilson less well i i had him where i have him because I think he's like the production guy he's not very flashy but he's experienced he kept he's consistent and he gets it done yeah a guy like warren Thompson can blow him out of water athletically
2: right. because he's more special but I know pokey's more reliable so I went mm-hmm. with pokey higher
1: I think why
2: – Plus, I, plus Keyshawn is hurt. I love Keyshawn, but that whole wide receiver dynamic with him was a little tough because I'm not sure, are they going to have him for four games, eight games, 12 games? You know, I don't know that. So, I I hesitate to rank him higher because I don't know how much availability he'll have.
1: And for those following at home, uh, Keyshawn Helton hasn't been released yet. Uh, we're at 18 today at, at the time of, of recording this podcast. Brady Scott's at 18. So, Keyshawn Helton will be in the top 20 and that's him coming off a pretty serious knee injury. My thing, I think, with the wide receivers is Mike Norvell has traditionally run a pretty truncated offense when it comes to the wide receivers. There's about three to five guys that rotate regularly. Previously, under under Kendall Briles and Willie Taggart, they want to go like 10 deep at wide receiver and just keep rotating bodies in. Uh, to me, that kind of suppresses some of the value of someone like, like an Ontario Wilson. Yeah, he does a lot of things well. But when you're trying to get dynamic playmakers the ball, I think there's just three or four more guys who can do a little bit more with the football than than Pokey can. Not to say I don't like him; he was in my top 50, but but yeah, I didn't view him as like a like a starter. Like Chris has him at 22nd; that's technically starting territory uh, when you're looking at 11 guys on each side of the ball. Someone else who was fairly polarizing among us, and this is also tied at 32nd, quarterback Chuba Purdy. I have him at 21st. Chris has him at 48th. And Josh, not listed.
2: I should have had him higher, plain and simple.
1: Really? We're, we're, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. You could do a redo. Where well, would you put him?
2: Probably 30. Okay.
1: Because
2: I, I do think he's going to end up starting games this year. I do think he's going to end well, yeah, up That would make him pretty
1: damn day. important. <laughs> right. <laughs> if he's the starting quarterback, even for a game.
2: But I also don't think that's going to be the case going into the season.
1: Yeah. So. Josh, but Yeah, I, I
2: should have had him
0: higher. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, if you if we go back and after the season into the forty most important players, I might have him higher depending on if he plays or not. I guess that's that's the that's the rub. Do you think he's going to play or not?
1: So that was why I kind of hedged my bets and put him at twenty first, as I figured mm-hmm. there is a decent chance he's going to play. And if he if he does, he has to be represented to some extent or another. Yeah, I think he'll play. I don't know if he'll start, but I think they'll try to find ways to get him involved and, and help. Yeah, and it's it's reasonable if James Blackman comes out and struggles that after that bye week. Uh, We could see Chubba Purdy. I I don't think that would surprise anyone at all. I know some people who cover the team believe that we'll see Chubba Purdy starting in week one. I I think that's a little far-fetched, but uh, I guess not out of the realm of possibility. Number 31, every single year there's a veteran safety that FSU fans just seem to really detest. (laughs) Tyler Hunter, Nate Andrews, A.J. Westbrook. Who else am I missing here, fellas? Corey Mangum. can't
2: forget Corey Mangum. that,
1: That doesn't count. Uh...
2: Oh, you want to talk about despise? (laughs) Jeez, do I have some stories? Not me. I was fine with the kid. The fan base, not so much.
1: We had a poster the other day. Said they were naming uh, a new dog that they were getting, and I just started throwing out names of of players who FSU fans had irrational hatreds for: (laughs) Djax, Eberly, Mangum. Jeff Bowden would be a weird name for a dog. So, all right. Cyrus Fagan at 31 on our list. I had him at 42nd. Knee had him at 27th. Newberg at 24th. That's all backup territory technically. Just maybe he starts at field safety. Maybe he's a second string field safety. Maybe he's the third or fourth string. I just, I don't have a great feel of that position between him. Hampson Nasruddin, who I think we expect to start at one of the safety positions, obviously just not sure which one and how they use them. Bernardo Green, who else am I missing? Raymond Woody, the third, like between the four of those guys, like I think that that lowers Cyrus's value some. That's why I'm a little lower on him than than you two. This is the one I want to get into. I know Josh is going to have some explaining to do. Bavion Johnson comes in at 30th now. 30th doesn't seem that far off for Bavion. I had him at 41st. Need had him at 40th. Just about everyone else had him in that range. He moves up almost 10 spots on the composite because Josh Newberg had Bavion Johnson at 6th. Sixth. 6th. Sixth. <laughs> sixth explain
0: Josh- yourself, Newberg. <laughs> I think, no, I think this is simple. I think, Brendan, you should have to explain it.
1: Oh, oh wow. okay. Tables I'll, I'll, have I'll, turned. I'll, I'll explain it. So, because If you I'm, got into Newberg's
0: brain, how would you explain it?
1: Well, I'll explain how it went down. I I procrastinate in putting these together. I I had the whole list, obviously, and then I do. Uh, you about do fr- not. I well, I procrastinate into oh, whatever. You're bugging I, I,
0: us the entire time to get it done because yours is done.
1: So when I text Josh the morning of, I need to get Babyon Johnson's profile posted. I say, hey, you have you're the high man on on Babyon. Can you write something on him? He goes, yeah. Where do I have him? I said, six. And you go, six? <laughs> so you
0: didn't even believe your own bullshit. <laughs> but the reasoning behind it was this. Florida, it's kind of similar to Morris Smith. Florida State's offensive line is so bad. If on Johnson can be a shell of what we thought he was when we had him as the number one center in America. I mean, hell, if he could just get the snap back there consistently every time correctly, that would be a, a, a he would be very important to Florida State's offensive line. But- the play has been so bad at that position. If Babyon Johnson could could come in, get his shit together, start playing like the four-star prospect that we thought he was, and be the anchor for that offensive line this season, he'd be hugely important to Florida State. Josh is living in a world of if.
1: If ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Jordan yeah. Long. Yeah. Yeah. I don't,
2: I mean, <laughs>
0: I'm not, I'm not convinced he starts. I <laughs> I'm true. just trying to convince you of why I had him sixth. I don't have to convince you of anything else. I, I,
2: you know, I'm going, I'm working with the theory that Andrew Buscelli is going to start there over Baby.
1: To the fairness of Josh, like if you think that someone else is going to start at center, you're going to have them higher than everyone else. Like, And Josh thinks Allen Johnson can start, which is not wildly, like it's not crazy to think about. Allen Johnson started at center most of last season. It's also
0: a bit of me hoping, Brendan. If we're being completely honest, <laughs> okay. it's All a right. bit of me hoping.
1: I appreciate the transparency. There we go. That's fine. I, I appreciate the transparency. Number 29. I am bullish on this one. This is Jordan Young, wide receiver, redshirt sophomore. I have him at 19th. So mm. I have him as a starter. Chris Knee has him at 28th. Josh Newberg, not listed. That is quite a big variance between all of us right there. We're talking about almost 10 between Chris and I, and then a 12 for Josh and Chris. Uh, I'll start by saying why I believe in Jordan Young, given that he hasn't done a ton. I put a lot of value into how someone finishes the season. Jordan Young started showing flashes at the end of last year, the bowl game against Arizona State before he got hurt. He made two really splashy plays against Syracuse late in the year. He kind of showed it. So I'm basing this a lot on potential, which I typically don't do. But what I liked, what I saw from him this spring was they put him in the slot. I think that's really interesting given his ability to make plays. I think that shows where he's valued in terms of, of Mike Norvell liking his versatility as someone who you want to get the ball to, so I think the staff sees something. I'm not sure where Keyshawn Helton is going to be in terms of his health at the beginning of the season. I would imagine that would be Keyshawn Helton's role, so that moves up Jordan Young for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Jordan Young also killed it in the uh, in the offseason conditioning programs too. Was someone that got that, uh, that coveted black Jersey, I think before anyone else or as early as anyone else. So I put all those together and say, I'm buying low on him, Josh. We like stocks. I'm buying low on -hmm. him right now. And the assumption that he is moving upwards in the right direction.
0: Yeah. Um, I feel like you're just pumping him because that's (laughs) for me to not have him on the list. I just wasn't buying in this year. Um, everything was based on potential and highlights coming out of high school. Uh, We thought, oh, his freakish athleticism can get him on the field as a freshman. That wasn't the case. Uh, He wasn't very consistent. We didn't see a whole lot of him last year. Uh, I'm just not. And and I know with Treshaun Harrison gone and the injury to Keyshawn Helton that he could see more opportunities. Um, But I'm just not buying into the hype right now.
2: I'm leaning more Sunone because I know going into the spring, the staff was excited to see him out there. I'm they sure believe he had put himself in a position to show some things.
1: Big thing with Jordan Young still is confidence, too. Uh, he's admitted to that. He lost confidence in high school for in his junior season. He lost confidence in his freshman season at Florida State. And he's admitted to that both times. We see though, once he gets going and starts believing himself, what he can be. The Abusement Park uh, highlight film, pretty good example of it. He yeah, has is a potential uh, take by me. That that's why I have him I'm so high. But we'll see uh, at the end of the year when I'm right. And Josh is wildly, wildly incorrect. Number 28, Travis J. I have him at 26. Chris has him at 20th. Josh at 35th. Nee, you're the middleman. No, I'm the middleman. You're the high man. Chris, explain why you're high on him.
2: I think Travis J is Johnny badass. I think you can put him on an island and he can dominate his opponent one on one. He's athletically off the charts. He's a guy who academically, I think, is the only reason we didn't see him on the field last year. And Josh, I, I mean, I think I think he is capable of, I'll put this plain and simple. I think he's capable of being FSU's second best corner.
1: Mm-hmm. He was uh, he was someone I think that was going to get a lot of reps with the first team offense if the spring continued. I'll leave it at that. Uh, Josh, maybe a little more skeptical of, of him being a contributor this year?
0: Yeah, that's it. I think he's going to be a star at Florida State. I'm just not sure this is the year that we see him breakout. but it could be.
1: That boundary cornerback position is going to be really interesting because Akeem Dent's probably going to be there. I don't know where Miko Dotson fills in. I think it's more as a backup and nickel back, but uh, maybe that'll be an interesting position to monitor. Number twenty seventh, Renardo Green ends up moving to safety in the spring. I believe he probably stays there long term, uh, but but curious to see if they want to continue with with that experiment moving forward. I, I think we all uh, under the assumption that's what's going to happen. I had him at thirty second. Knee at. 30th, Josh at 32nd. We're all right around the same area. Josh and I are actually in the same spot. So, no need to really go into that one. 26, Warren Thompson. All right, another big, big, big difference here. I am at 48th for Warren. Chris is at 36. Josh loving the Tampa area kids. 18th. 18th.
0: 813, baby. (laughs) 813. I mean, he played on Team Tampa. What am I going to do?
1: <laughs> <laughs> is that why you shamelessly and you had Baby on hire too? I'm starting to kind of catch on. No, because... Baby on's
0: not a Tampa guy. Baby on's uh, Lakeland. He's, Pope. he's or Pope, right? You guys yeah, rented yeah. you rented
2: him sometimes. I no, we rented um, Derwin
0: James. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. It was Derwin. That's good. That's I,
1: good, I, good do,
2: <laughs> I do think Warren is maybe the biggest swing guy of anybody on offense. In the sense of Mm -hmm. if he can live up to being what he's capable of being with some level of consistency, he can probably be the second, third, most important receiver on this team and arguably the third or fourth most important offensive player on this team. Yeah. But we've never seen it actually happen. So I think it's tough for us to buy. And I know it certainly was for me.
0: I think Warren can be as good as Warren wants to be. We'll just see what that is The season.
1: I'm happy that we do the the composite because like if I'd left Warren Thompson completely off my list, people would have lost their shit. So I'm happy that there is something to kind of bring him to 26 range, which I don't think is crazy. Like Chris said, there is certainly a scenario in which Warren Thompson comes out and is a top 20 most important player on this team at the end of the season. Like, I don't I don't think that's crazy for Josh to have him that high. I'm just... I'm, I couldn't go super high on two young wide receivers that haven't done a lot of anything. I had to kind of pick between Jordan Young and Warren Thompson in my mind, and I went with Jordan Young, and that was that's why I had him.
2: I look forward to Warren yelling at you on the practice fields.
1: Brendan Snow ain't ready, instead of Boise State ain't ready. Remember that? Ah, right. oh, memories. Moving on. Nico Dotson at 25th. That's the FAU transfer at cornerback. I am at 24th, knee at 23rd, Newbrick at 19th. We're all pretty similar. I think it was some of the other guys. I think like Bud had Nico Dotson fairly low. And I think Wayne did as well, if I'm not mistaken. And then like in the 40 range, um, I think you don't bring in a graduate transfer with one year of eligibility to just be a backup. I think he's going to be heavily used in sub packages. And I think he is someone who, can legitimately give asante samuel some some time off some reps or you can move asante samuel around if you want to as well but i have a uh, fairly high on nico Dotson as like a really high important sub package player which is where he is in that 25 range uh, let's see all right andrew Baselli at 24 uh, i had him at 23rd knee at 25th newberg 29 so newberg kind of hedging his bets a little bit he has two centers in the top 30
0: they could be guards
1: okay all right. Uh, I think me and I, fair knee, that we both think he's probably the starting center, but we're not super sold on either Baselli or Marie Smith maybe pushing, or sorry, Baby on. Baby and uh, Marie Smith pushing him.
2: Josh made sure to
0: get Baby on in there. Don't <laughs> you say <Bavion? laughs> Don't sleep on Baby on at number six. Oh. Uh...
1: Number twenty three, Leonard Warner. This is—I don't know if I like the segment or hate it right now. It's been entertaining, actually. Number twenty three, Leonard Warner. I am at thirty first. knee at thirty second. Newbrick at twenty first. So New, you—you you basically think he
2: experience, is, yeah, just yeah, yeah. low end starter. A, to me, he's a dependable depth guy. But good God, there's a lot of guys on the team that I think bring a lot more to that position.
1: <sighs> that was one of the more polarizing names so far from our reader response. I should, wish I had the the poll ahead of me, but people were not happy that we had him at twenty-third, which if you think about it, like I can understand.
2: I wasn't happy we had him at twenty-third. You <laughs> would definitely understand being a
0: fan not being happy about him being that the still 23rd puts him in a I'm as team.
1: technically a backup. If we're breaking it down eleven and eleven on each side of the ball, twenty-third is the primary backup, right?
2: And at that Third. moment it sunk in that eight and four is really a reality. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've had some arguments, me specifically, because I like getting arguments with the message boarders more than you guys do. You just don't interact with the, that aspect at all. Need just shuts that shit down and Josh mm. just ignores it is, is the dynamic typically. To the end of the
2: month when he, needs when, his post. when he
1: needs When he does ask <laughs> me anything threads, shamelessly. Mm. <laughs> oh man that's when i said procrastinating earlier about uh, about putting these list g- together josh like rolled his eyes because the ultimate procrastinator knows what procrastinating well
0: is. i just get into these awful awful cycles of like the end of the month i got to write all these stories and make all these board posts and then the first of the month comes and i'm just like so exhausted from from crushing it at the end of the month that i take like the the next couple days off and here i am in the same situation again the next month
1: it's an abusive cycle uh, but but to my <laughs> to what I was saying, people are, are talking about the roster being better than what it's been in recent years. And I think that's some Kool-Aid drinking. I think the top end of the roster, which we'll get to if we decide to do another segment on this in a couple of days, I think the top end of the roster is actually pretty darn good. But I think the back end of the roster, I talked about this on, on a podcast we had Wayne on. I think the back end of the roster is better than what it's been in recent years. I think the 20 through 40 range, to me is where there's just a lot of what ifs, a lot of variables, a lot of guys who are either multi-year starters who really haven't performed very well, or a lot of guys who just haven't shown that they can do it yet, uh, that are like redshirt freshmen or redshirt sophomores that are unknowns. Uh, I think Leonard Warner is a really good example of what I'm talking about. You're talking about someone in the 20 range or 30 range who makes people uncomfortable that he's that high simply because he's been one, he was not very good as a defensive end type of player last year, moved back to middle linebacker and at least was serviceable, but even then a little up and down, uh, to be that for this fan base, I think that's kind of understanding of where you are right now. You have a lot of guys who are maybe serviceable in certain spots, uh, but not a whole lot of game changers outside of maybe the top 10 players on the roster. Um, and that's just kind of the, the life you live right now at Florida State until you start turning the roster over more. Uh, is that fair, Chris?
2: Yeah. The only thing I would add is I think the transfers race of floor. I yeah. think that's the best thing the transfers did for FSU. I do think the uh, worst case scenario is far less bad than it was going into January.
1: Yeah, I think the floor is higher, and I think the the ceiling's a little higher too. I think just the middle ground is where I'm a little more uncomfortable with with the roster, which those guys, yeah. ultimately, ones that make or break a season, when in terms of depth and and, and whatnot.
2: I think FSU is capable of fielding a pretty dang good 22 outside of maybe like offensive tackle. Obviously, I think there's some warts there, but I think from a 44 perspective, a two D perspective. There's a lot of question marks. I
1: agree. I agree. All right, we're almost done here, fellas. Uh, Josh, I really appreciate you've, you've given your A game for this. I did not think that was going to happen. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. Akeem Dent, number 22. We think he's probably going to be a cornerback in this scheme. He played primarily safety last year until he moved to corner late in the season, looked more comfortable there. I had Akeem at 25th, Knee at 19th, Josh at 25th. Not a whole lot of change there, but Knee, but interesting. You had him at 19 and you had Travis J at 20th. So you kind of hedged your bets a little bit with those two guys, assuming they're playing the same position.
2: Yeah. Lack of a spring kind of did me in there with regards to going all in on one or backing off one of the other ones. I do think Akeem dent learns how to catch an interception this year, which I think instantly raises his value.
1: (laughs) It's funny if he ends up catching two or three of the six or seven interceptions that he dropped. People
2: are much more in love with him. We're talking about
1: such a small, how how little of of a sample size that is. Um, but yeah, we're, we're talking about it much differently. I actually had Akeem at twenty fifth and Travis J at twenty six, so like I was kind of in the same uh, mindset of you, Chris, just a little bit lower on them. And I, but, but yeah, I kind of went with the same back to back because I wasn't sure uh, which was going to emerge. Finally, this is an interesting name, uh, one that I, I think was very polarizing. I know Warchant does their list, and they were much higher on Kalen LeBourne, the running back, than than our group was. Twenty second for me. 26 for knee 17th for Newberg. I think Wayne really bumped him down there and pretty much because Wayne asked to interview him and and didn't get a chance to interview him. So just assume that he's in the doghouse because of, because of that. Uh, I don't know. I think 21st is, is a fairly like fair place for him. I had him at 22nd, but I I don't understand like the people thinking he's like a top 10 most important player. Do you guys get that?
2: I expect Jay Sean Corbin to be up as he's starting
0: running.
1: I do too. I do too. I think that's it. Josh, you were higher on Kalen. Do you think he's going to have the, the start to kind of show everyone what we've heard about him over the last few years? Yeah. Take, take the off him. Of
2: you. You praise
1: Josh and then I he I, immediately I, I, just, I just drives
2: it into the side of a mountain. <laughs>
1: uh, he was trying, he was talking to me. He looked like a fish breathing for air without making any noises. <laughs> I guess fish don't breathe for air for water. Right. Is there oxygen and water? Yes. Okay. So they are breathing air.
0: That's a gilly question. I like Kalen Laybourne, but um, not as much as Jay Sean Corbin. I do think he'll have ample opportunity, though, because they need explosive weapons on offense. Uh, Corbin's not going to be able to do it by himself. Uh, So I do think Laybourne has has a good bit of importance to this team.
1: All right. So if... You like this segment, give us a five star review on iTunes, please, saying that you want to hear the second half of the top forty countdown between the three of us. If you did not like it, give us a five star review and say that you don't wanna hear the second half of the top forty countdown. All right? That's how we're gonna that's how we're gonna move. Fair on. is fair. Yes, yes. But we'll we'll listen to the criticism for this. We'll be open to it. Uh but it has to be a five-star review for me to be able to listen and to digest it. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Josh, thanks for hanging in there to the bitter end. Uh, yeah. To- I'd like
0: to, um, God. I'd like to say something before we get off of here. Okay. Right now, Knowles 24 seven is running a 50% off promo uh, that gets you 50% off your annual membership to Knowles 24 seven. We've got a ton of recruiting information, a ton of team stuff coming up. The season's coming. Um, this essentially gets you locked into Knowles 24-7 for $1 for the first month. Um, So check it out. There's a promo on the front page. If you guys got any questions, hit us up.
1: Stick in the landing.